So, John Le Bon. Um, hello from Greece. Hello from beautiful Plovdiv, Bulgaria. Um, John, um, introduce yourself um, uh, in the beginning before we delve into our conversation. And um, I believe you're from Australia, correct? Yeah, well, I was born and I grew up in Australia and I've been overseas now for over four years. I've been living in Bulgaria for about uh, two and a half years. And in terms of introducing myself, well, I'm a podcaster and uh, I write articles and I make videos and I've got a website, johnthebond.com. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing this for about eight or nine years. Basically, in 2013, I discovered that some of the things that they show us on television about certain events, certain shootings and bombings, this kind of thing, that maybe these events are not true. And that sent me down a rabbit hole that eventually led me to find out that a lot of what we're told by school, TV, and just by society in general is completely untrue. And so I started YouTubing about that just as a hobby, as a passion, I suppose. And over a couple of years, I built up a small audience, but enough that it was worth building a website. And then I started creating content that was just for the members of the website. Mm -hmm. And then that became uh, not very successful, but successful enough that I could make uh, enough money doing that to move to a low cost of living country. So I quit my so-called real job and I've been doing this for yeah, a few years now, just uh, <laughs> trying to do my own research and produce content. And uh, I'm fortunate enough that there are just enough people out there to uh, make this a, an ongoing thing. And my main topics that I look at are media fakery, science fakery, and also what we call sync. This idea that some of these so-called coincidences, for example, something will happen in a movie and then 10 years later, it will, it will seem like maybe what the movie said comes true or something like this. That's just a, a rough idea. But these kinds of things, I look at that and, and that's what I do now. So, yeah, 35 years old, living in Bulgaria. And that's – I hope that's a, a fair introduction. You tell me, Maria, is that – is that a good enough it's, intro? It's a it's a proper introduction, yes. And <laughs> um, how come you chose uh, Bulgaria? Well, I got stuck in Malaysia. Remember how back in 2020 there was this so-called pandemic? I happened to be in Malaysia at the time, and I got uh, more or less stuck there because the planes all stopped, as you might recall. And Thank so you. I got used to being there. And Malaysia is a beautiful place, and Kuala Lumpur is a cool city. But after what was it, about eight or nine months, I thought, I need to get out of here. And so I decided to go to Europe. And then of Europe, there was a few countries that were lower cost of living than, than other places. And Bulgaria, for one reason or another, just seemed appealing. I'd never been there. I don't even know if I'd ever met a Bulgarian person in my life. I can't remember any. But, um, yeah, I decided to come to Bulgaria, and it's a cool country. So I decided to stay, and, yeah, I've been here for like two and a half years now. Okay. Well, Greece is near. Maybe you can come and visit. <laughs> I hope so. Greece is very close, and I do hope during the summer to come and visit. You guys have some uh, wonderful beaches and some seafood, I've heard. So, yeah, all yep. going well. I'll come and visit. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome here always. Okay, um, so I heard um, one of your interviews 
that you were going over your um, Hawks hierarchy. And I've I've written down uh, I've written it down. You begin with baby hoaxes, then toddler, then kitty, then teeny, daddy, and granddaddy hoaxes. And okay, I think most of us that we are we're sort of familiar with um, conspiracies and stuff like that. Most of them uh, make sense, and um, I certainly have heard many of them um, these hoaxes before. But what really uh, drew my attention um, was um, your uh, view of ancient history, which I found extremely interesting. Uh, because okay, okay, I'm, I'm I'm aware that at school we learn. We, I don't know what we learn. <laughs> anyway, um, and you know I'm I'm Greek, so you know, ancient Greek history is huge here and to the rest of the world. And then I heard you saying that we don't really have any actual, um, you know, papyrus or, or something from, from antiquity. And uh, most of our writings, if not all, were discovered in Egypt, in a dump, in a dump area in Egypt. And I said, okay, um, I mean, these are Greek writings like Homer and you know, Socrates and Plato, and they lived in Greece. I mean, they must have found something in in the Greek territory, something. And I tried to do, you know, my own research, and I found out that you were true. You were right. It was what you said. It's it's right. I could not that I'm an expert or or a historian or or an archaeologist, and maybe I don't know how to do um, the proper research. But as far as I went. I could not find a source based on on a, on, on on some excavation or, or something found in Greece. Nothing, no writing, nothing. So I decided to contact you, and and I would like us to to talk about that because I think most people, like myself, we were not aware of that. Yeah, most people, even people who consider themselves to be awake, because. There's lots of people who consider themselves awake, red-peeled. They think they've done the research. They think they've found the truth. But even like these conspiracy people or these awake people, whatever, most of them still believe the stories of history. And so what I'm presenting, this idea I'm presenting, that our history does not go back more than a couple hundred years, even to most people who consider themselves to be awake or whatever, this is too much for them. And I understand because it's a crazy idea. We all think that our history goes back thousands of years. I'll give you an example. A lot of people will say, oh, I don't believe in God or I don't believe in Jesus or whatever. But they still believe the Bible is 2,000 years old. People just believe that. But if you try to trace the sources of the Bible, it doesn't go back more than a couple hundred years. Now, that's a crazy idea. So when I say that, what do I mean? Suppose you go to a library today. And you want to find a book on, for instance, let's uh, think of a character, Caesar, right? You'll find a book on Caesar and you'll start reading. That book might be 10 years old or 20 or 50 years old. It'll be based on a bunch of its own sources. So if you go to the reference list at the back or the bibliography or whatever, it'll have a list of books that are older than this book. If you were to go and find those books, maybe that book is 70 or 80 years old. 
find its sources. We all assume that if you were to keep doing this, eventually you'll find some source that's 2,000 years old. But there is none. If you trace the sources, you'll find a book that's maybe 150 years old or something, and it will have no sources, no references. It's as though what we've been led to believe happened 2,000 years ago was just created as a story 100, 150 years ago. It depends on the, the particular event of history or the character, but whatever it is, that story was just written at some point, 100 years ago or whatever, and then other books have come along and used that original story, pretended that this was a, a legitimate thing. So these days we have books that will have 100 references in the back, but if you trace them, none of them go back more than 150 years. It's crazy. I know. I still can't yeah. believe it, really. But this is the world that we live in. This it's an, it's really remarkable to me. And I've shared this idea with, because I've been talking about this topic now for maybe four or five years. How long? Six years even. I've had a lot of people who've tried to debunk me. Most of them, I never hear from them again. But some of them, they'll come back to me and they'll say, hey, man, I found what you're saying is correct. It's crazy. I'm like, I know. This is an amazing thing. We're walking among thousands. In my city, I've got there's 300,000 people in Plovdiv. The vast majority of these people are oblivious to the real nature of where we live. Back in Australia, in Brisbane. Brisbane has a million people, something like that, a couple of million people. You walk among these people, and they can be very intelligent, very smart, whatever, but they are oblivious to the fact that what we think is our history is a relatively recent construction. It's not real. So we don't know where we came from. We don't know what was happening hundreds of years ago, let alone thousands of years ago. We don't know. It's like living in some kind of fantasy land and there's only a small percentage a very small proportion of us have any idea of this level of deception that's going on it's truly remarkable i did um i did find some um original sources that went back to the middle ages some transcripts uh manuscripts i'm sorry that um the it says that uh, they were reading in, uh, you know, mon- monasteries uh, back in the Middle Ages, um, the 15th century, the 16th century. And um, I think I know the argument against what you're proposing, that, um, you know, back then in antiquity, they didn't have a press. Um, so, you know, nothing was published. So everything was done, uh, you, know, man- uh, you know, manuscripts and um, uh so, so the original, original uh, manuscripts, they couldn't last in time. So they were being, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, transcribed. Is that the correct word? So I, I, you mean I, I, copied? Copied, like yes. People were sorry. copying yes. them. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. People, people copying them. So that's why we don't have the original um, uh, ancient um, manuscripts. But we do have copies and copies and copies. So to that, I don't have um, I don't have an, a counter argument. Maybe that's correct. But still, but still, we only rely on copies of other people's copies. And how do we know who copied them? Who were these people who were who supposedly were copying original ones or uh, on original manuscripts? And uh, how do we know that uh, they're you know? Copying was uh, 100% exact and correct, and they didn't change things according to the agenda of the times. And so, okay, I, 
I I I can't say that um, our history is only two hundred, um, uh, you know, uh, or three hundred years old. But I, I I can definitely say that we do not know how far back we actually know history goes, and definitely we don't know that the manuscripts that we're reading today are the original ones, and they're correct, and they haven't been changed, or some of them they haven't been invented. During the Middle Ages, for example, we don't know. No, we don't know. And I get what you're saying. Someone can say, oh, well, okay, we only have literary work that is 100 or 150 years old because the original documents would have degraded. So they've disappeared now, but we've got copies. Yeah, fair enough. I understand that. But like you said, what we, what we do have now is still only 100, 150 years old, what have you. I don't know what you mean when you say you found stuff that was from the Middle Ages. Like, what century uh, are you talking? Um, unfortunately, I, I'm going to need to go because I I have um, the site on my favorite, so I can find it. There is a site that um, I think I, I was definitely looking, looking at uh, Greek literature, so Homer and Plato. And um, there is a website that um, states, uh, you know, um, on which manuscripts uh, these uh, uh, literary works are based, because um, I also found out that we don't have a whole uh, uh, work uh, complete. So we have different manuscripts scattered around the world, and someone just put them together and created Iliad and created, uh, you know, Odyssey. The, I, I didn't even know that. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Anyway, so uh, this site, this website um, says, you know, the, the original, not the original, I mean, the manuscript, the, the oldest manuscript that we have is on this library and dates, you know, that, that era, that, that, that century. So a few manuscripts, most of them are from Egypt, as you said, which was discovered in the uh, 19, uh, early 19th century, but a few manuscripts are being, um, you know, held in several libraries um, in, in Europe uh, mostly, and they're, they're being dated around the 15th or 16th century. The, 15th you know, the or 16th century. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Even if we but take few, that on face few. value, like, because they can say it's dated to the 15th or 16th century, but when were they dated to that? Who dated them? But let's just take that on face value, even that. That's only a few hundred years ago. Yes. It's yes, not the thousands of years ago yeah, yeah, that definitely. we've been told. And I can yes, give, because I know probably a lot of your listeners might find all of this way too hard to believe. I'll just give an example. If you try to find out the official story today about history, you'll find out that the father of history was this guy called Herodotus. Herodotus. And he was the first person, supposedly, who wrote down events as a historian. So he was the first person to say, okay, here's what happened. I'm going to write it down for future reference. He's called the father of history, Herodotus. If you try to trace the sources for this guy, again, only goes back 100, 150 years. And he's That's meant to be the father of history. So, and, and I, would, uh, I would ask anybody if they're interested in this, just try to debunk me. Just find a book about Herodotus, go to its sources or its reference list, and just trace your way back. And we're very fortunate now we've got things like the Internet Archive. So there are books that are available in PDF form 
So it's not hard to trace it. See, in the past, if you wanted to try and investigate this, you would need to travel the world and go to different libraries to get different books. These days, it's relative, it takes time, but it's relatively easy. Once you read a book, it says, oh, well, we've got our information from this other book. You can download that book. You can find it and download it. Then you can read that book, and then you can find its sources and download it. So you can do all of this relatively easily. Like I said, it takes time. I would challenge anybody, just try this. See how far back you can go. And at some point, you will find a book that provides no sources. But this book will be the source for a later book, and then for a later book, and then the modern textbooks. So they're all, they're all based on a book that's based on a book that's based on a book that's 150 years old that has no sources. Just It was just written. Some guy just wrote the book. It's almost as though... It's almost as though these stories about Caesar or Herodotus or any of these characters, it's almost as though those stories were originally written as fiction, but then someone later on came along and pretended that those were real stories, and then somebody else copied him, and then somebody else copied him. And now today we have these books that have hundreds of citations and references, and it seems so academic, it seems so scientific, it seems so legitimate. And no one's checking to go back to the originals and realizing these are just stories, just stories that people wrote. And they don't go, they don't come from anywhere. Well, I tried to debunk you and uh, it didn't take much time for me, like an hour. And um, I saw that you were, um, you were right as, as uh, far as the sources go. So my next um, question would be... No, I'm sorry. B- before I go to my next question, can you um, uh, briefly um, tell us about that, um, you know, excavation uh, dam area in Egypt? Um, yeah, where is it? Story. What is it? And when was discovered? Yeah. There was this story of these guys called Grenfell and Hunt, and they were these uh, academics from Oxford, I think. I'm just using. I'm just going off my memory here. I don't have my notes in front of they, me, but. They, I think they, they discovered. Oxford, yes. Yeah, I think so. And, and this, so this is like 100 years ago, roughly. I think it was the early 1900s. Early These 1900s. guys were in Egypt and they discovered this thing that's now called the Oxyrhynchus papyri. And what they discovered was this uh, collection. It was, a, it was an ancient rubbish dump, they say, full of all of these ancient texts from... Uh, ancient Greek writers and ancient Egyptians and even some stuff from the Bible. The Bible, as you know today, the sources for that go back to the Oxyrhynchus papyri. So these guys claimed that they found this old rubbish dump full of these texts. And those texts are used as the original source for a lot of the stories of supposed history today. I know that sounds crazy, but that is, that's the official story. And they don't teach us that in school. They don't teach us in school, oh, all these stories that we're telling you about the pharaohs or about the Bible or about the ancient Greeks, these stories come from a rubbish dump in Egypt from 100 years ago, from a couple of Oxfords. They don't tell us that. And I think the reason they don't tell us that is because your history teacher doesn't know this either. Your history teacher at school or university, they were just taught stories and they just repeat the stories. That's what history is. People are just repeating the stories they hear from others. That's all. It's like hearsay. It's not, it's not based on actual research. 
And you can get a degree at university in ancient history without having to learn Latin or Greek. You can get an, an ancient history degree in English. That is, that you never even have to try and find the original sources. That's not, not, that's not how history is taught. And when you think about it, that is absurd. How can you know stories from ancient history if you only speak English? If the stories aren't from English, obviously you have to read somebody else's version of the story. But that is how history is taught today. So your history teacher or your history professor, it's not that they're in on some big secret. They themselves have been caught up in this gigantic deception and they don't know any better. What about archaeological findings? The actual Okay, sites. so archaeological findings, that's a good question. So I live in Plovdiv, Bulgaria. Plovdiv is meant to be one of the oldest ancient cities in the world. And they've got this thing here called the uh, Ancient Theatre of Philippopolis. And supposedly this thing is a couple of years old. And you can go, they've got a few different uh, ruins or relics here. You can go and watch performances at this ancient theatre. Now, it's really cool. It's a really cool ancient theatre. I went there to see a couple of performances last year. It was awesome. And, you've, and it's, it, it feels like you're sitting somewhere that's so old and, yeah, it's been restored, but it's, you know, there were people sitting here hundreds or thousands of years ago. It's amazing, right? Interest, and that's what people believe. That's what it says. But interestingly, they only discovered this place last century. Only discovered it last century. And get this, there is a four-lane major road going underneath this place, Okay. So there is a modern road that goes underneath this ancient theater. How does that make any sense? Because you see, people don't ask themselves these questions, but people don't, also people don't want to ask these questions. People want to believe when they pay their 30 lever or their 40 lever to go to a performance, they want to believe they're sitting in a 2000 year old theater. People don't want to realize that what they're sitting in is a modern construction that is being passed off as ancient for tourism or for commercial purposes. And it's the same with the pyramids. People are like, oh, well, the pyramids are thousands of years old. I'm like, how do you know that? How do you know that? They were supposedly discovered by Napoleon and his legion of French explorers or military, whatever they were. How do we know that they didn't just build them themselves? How do we know? How do we know? We don't. And then people say, oh, no, but... These places, they've been dated. Experts have carbon dated. No, they haven't. No one's carbon dated anything. And also, this idea of carbon dating. Okay, so supposedly, supposedly they can take a sample and they can run it through some special machine or some special testing to determine that there's a, a different ratio of carbon isotopes or argon or whatever isotopes. Firstly, if you weren't raised to believe this nonsense, you'd never believe it. It sounds like magic, hocus-pocus, which it is. But let's just say you take it seriously. Okay, suppose you're the expert, Maria, and I give you a sample, and you can run it through your machine and determine that it's 10,000 years old. How can you verify independently that your machine is accurate? Yeah? How can you verify? So what I'm trying to say is, what's the control? Okay, so if, if I give you... If you're an expert who determines things, you've got a machine that can determine things, there should be a way for us to test with something that we independently know to be a certain way that your machine can determine it. 
but there's no there's no way to do that with carbon dating. There's no thing that we have that we independently know is six thousand years old or ten thousand years old that we can give to you and put in a machine that your machine then accurately says this is six thousand years old or ten thousand years old. Do you see the point that I'm trying to make? Where's the independent yeah. verification of this? There is none. There can't there can't possibly be one. So this idea of carbon dating, everyone believes in it. I think in most cases because they don't really understand it. But once you understand it, you realize even if you take the story on face value, there's no way to independently verify the stories they're giving. None. So, oh, no. so the, the point of my story is the pyramids, they're not carbon dated. There is no carbon dating. We don't know how old those pyramids or these ancient theaters or what have you. We don't know physically how old they are. But I don't really focus on that. I'm focused on the literary evidence the literary evidence, I can't trace back more than 100, 150 years, depending on the on the story. So do these places exist, these ancient theatres, these pyramids? Yes, they exist, but we don't know how old they are. We don't know we how don't. old they are. No. Yeah. No. And with uh, carbon dating, because I, I've done an extensive research on um, carbon dating, uh, apart from the fact that, as you said, that we cannot independently verify it, it's that they themselves, they don't have... Um, they get different um, dates. So different people um, using carbon dating can get different dates. Plus, uh, when we actually know when um, um, a specific rock was created, let's say from a volcanic explosion. So you, uh, <clears throat> so we know when uh, this uh, volcanic explosion happened, like 20 years ago, and we take a piece of you know, earth, um, a rock or something from that vulcan volcanic explosion, and we give it for carbon dating, Carbon dated never accurately uh, um, finds the you know the how old the that rock is. Never, never. It has never happened. They're always wrong. So for a fact, we know that carbon dating doesn't work. It's hocus pocus, as you said. <laughs> Whatever, it doesn't work. So I don't. I'm. I don't think that. Um, Ancient or older civilizations didn't didn't exist. That we, you know, wait before I I state that. So, John, what what's your thesis? What do you think our history is? How do you, you know, what's your conclusion? What do you think is going on with um, with history? Well, I what's your I hypothesis? don't know. I'm. I'm just as in the dark as you and anybody else. I don't know how we got here. I do sometimes speculate about how this all might have happened, how this all started, but it's just speculation. I, I don't know how, how all of this began. It's a mystery to me. All I can do is speculate. That's all. I don't know. It's a great mystery. There's a TV show called Westworld. It was oh, very popular a few years ago. You've I seen Westworld? In Westworld, there's this constructed reality where all of the inhabitants, they think they're living in a certain time period, but they don't know that they're actually living in a constructed reality. I speculate that the world that we live in today is somewhat similar to that. We've been led to believe that we evolved over millions of years and civilization has been here for thousands of years. and We're led to believe all of that, but actually this reality that we live in has only been here for maybe a hundred or a couple hundred years. 
That's what I speculate, but I can't prove that. So I like to explain to people when I'm talking about this, there's a stuff that I can prove, which is that the stories that we've been given, the sources don't trace back more than a couple hundred years. That I think anyone can prove to themselves if they want. Whereas when someone says to me, so what is this place? Where are we living? At this point, all I can do is speculate. So there are different things. So this speculation I'm offering you, I can't prove it. I could, I could easily be wrong about this. I really don't know. So I hope I'm making that clear enough to you. So the sources don't go back more than 100 or 200 years. That anyone can prove. But when you say to me, what is this place? I'm just speculating. I don't know. I don't know. I do think about it a lot, though, especially when uh, lovely people like yourself contact me and want to talk about it. It reminds me, oh, yeah, that's right. This whole place <laughs> is like a fake. This whole place is like a fake construct. <clears throat> I generally don't think about it too much day to day, but. Yeah, this is the case. We we don't know how we got here. We don't know why we're here. We don't know how this all happened. But like I said to you, my best speculation is that this whole place was created some time ago, just a few human generations ago. And also, a lot of people have this idea of, oh, well, humans, once the first humans came along, they reproduced and then different tribes formed and they uh, walked all over the world and created all these different civilizations. I don't believe the humans that are here today, me and you and the others, I don't believe that's how this happened. I think whenever this place was created, it was created with the humans and possibly even with some of these buildings already in place, kind of like a video game level. Like whenever this all started, bang, all this stuff was here. Me, well, not me, but people and then uh, maybe even the buildings, maybe even the cities, they all just popped into existence <laughs> like when you load a video game. And I know that sounds crazy. I know it sounds crazy. Trust me, I, I know this. And I don't try to convince people to agree with me about this, but that's the best explanation I can come up with, that at some point, some higher power, whether that's a god or whether that's uh, some kind of simulation game developer or whatever put us, put us as inhumans here, when this version of reality began, it began more or less as we see it today. Crazy stuff, I know. Uh, what do you mean as we see it today? Like um, mod okay, modern so, uh, times? Yeah, more or less like this. So I don't know when the reality began. Was it like 1800, 1850, 1900? I don't know when this version of reality began so you literally began, you literally believe that all the archaeological findings that we you know we excavate and we find um, you know different uh, cities or villages or um, you know temples or whatever uh, that uh, they're new that 200 years old and someone buried them and um, tried to make them look uh, old maybe in some cases they buried them i think some of these so-called ancient sites are, have actually been created by modern like by um, relatively contemporary people. So, for example, there's this um, place called Gobekli Tepe in Turkey, which was supposedly discovered, I think, in the 60s or the 70s. I think they could have just created it then and there as a, as a future tourist destination, similar to some of these ancient sites in other parts of Europe and South America. They, they say, oh, guys, we discovered this ancient ruins. Okay, maybe they were discovered. Maybe these ancient ruins were buried and people discovered them. Maybe they just created them for tourist purposes. 
because there's a lot of tourism money in these ancient sites. Why does anyone go to Egypt? People do not go to Egypt for the local culture. Speak to anyone who's been to Egypt. Most of them will tell you, especially women, that they had a horrible experience in Egypt. They didn't really like the people, the culture. Okay, so why'd they go? Oh, to see the ancient pyramids. Yeah, these ancient sites captivate people and they will spend money on tourism. They'll fly there. They'll spend money on hotels. They'll spend money on food. They'll put their money into the economy. This is a very lucrative thing, these ancient sites. And here's another thing. In Egypt, there are, you know, so you have a government and a government will have different ministries. So a ministry for health, a ministry for defense, a ministry for education. In Egypt, the same ministry is responsible for tourism. That same ministry is also responsible for antiquities. In other words, places like the pyramids of Giza. So can you see the, the, con the, the conflict of interest here? The people whose job is to help Egypt attract tourists, they also happen to be the people responsible for all of these new discoveries. What an amazing coincidence. Isn't that incredible? Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. It's funny when, when you state it like that. It's um, a theme park. Ancient Egypt, these pyramids, Giza, it's a theme park. So people will spend money to fly to Florida to go to Disney World or Disneyland, whatever it's called. And they know, they fully understand that this theme park they're going to has been constructed for their amusement. It's an amusement park. And they will pay lots of money to go there and to take their children there and to take photos. And in the future, they'll, they'll look back at their photos and they'll say, hey, didn't we have lots of fun meeting Mickey Mouse and all these things? Those people are fully aware they're going to an amusement park. People who go to the pyramids, they think they're going to some historical site of significance. And thousands of years ago, there were these little ancient Egyptians who were somehow moving these big blocks of stone and creating these amazing uh, pyramids. No, it's an amusement park. But it's an amusement park that pretends that it's thousands of years old. But it has the same effect. People pay their money, they go, they spend, they take their photos, they have the stories to tell, they get back home. People are like, oh, how was Egypt? Oh, it was amazing. I got to see the pyramids. I got to ride a camel. Same thing as going to Disneyland and seeing Mickey Mouse and riding on a roller coaster. Same thing. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you a couple of um, issues with um, this theory that um, I have. Some um, uh, sites, some archaeological sites, were not discovered. They were they were never lost. They, they were always there. The pyramid is one of them. Uh, the Parthenon in Athens is also another one. It was never lost and then rediscovered. So that's one um, issue that I have with this um, hypothesis you, you just uh, stated. And then another issue I have is that um, uh, different civilizations like um, the, um, the Hindus in uh, India or the Chinese, in their own history and their own you know, literature, they, they mention um, and the civilization of uh, what we call today ancient Greece and uh, ancient Mesopotamian, and they mention this cross-cultural um, uh, relationship and trade and 
so around the world, um, you know, different people corroborate the fact that some sort of um, civilizations, uh, you know, existed. And um, archaeological findings, um, some, not all, but uh, some corroborate uh, the, um, the stories. So <clears throat> I don't, I don't think I'm ready to go where where you are, you know, as far as you as you are right now. But I, I am willing to to admit that um, we don't know exactly what happened. You know, uh, we don't know exactly what these civilizations were doing. Um, and we don't know exactly when they existed. So I think they they have completely messed up the timeline um, uh, for me. I, my issue is that we don't know. We don't know when. We don't know when uh, uh, some events happened. And we don't know whether these events were, um, uh, were exact, were what they're teaching us that they were. So maybe they have messed up. They have um, um, not messed up. They have they they messed with the stories because you know as as, um, as um, everybody knows uh, history is being written by the you know by the winners not the losers. So we don't know the validity and we don't know the timeline. I yeah that's that's my that's my issue. So the Parthenon, for instance. Whatever people see when they go there today, even according to the official story, that's not what was there hundreds or thousands of years ago. It's gone through what they call restorations. So they do these restorations yeah. supposedly to return it to how it looked in antiquity. But how do we know what they call a restoration is not just the building of the thing. And it's gone, the Parthenon and a lot of these um, ancient places they haven't just gone through, according to their own story, one restoration. They've gone through multiple restorations. So if you look at a photo of the Parthenon today, yeah, great. That's that's the, the Parthenon that has been restored, supposedly. That's not what even they say was standing there thousands of years ago. No, but from restoring to building it from scratch is, uh, you know, is completely different. I mean, but what are they? What people are they back then, when when they when as as you say, when uh, if they build it from uh, from scratch, then people would know that before uh, the restoration happened, nothing was there. Nothing was. How uh, would they know? How would people know? I think the ancient theater of Philippopolis here in Plovdiv. I think that was built from scratch. How would anybody know any different? I don't know about that because, as you said, that was uh, discovered. It wasn't always uh, on uh, plain sight. The, you know the the bathroom is on top of the of the hill. It was never underground. It was never hidden. It was always up there. How do you know? Uh, how do I know? Uh, because it's something on on plain sight. Uh, if someone built it from the beginning, then the people living uh, at that time would know that something is being built. Then. And what would they do about uh, it? What would they do? What are they going to do? Like spread the word? Hey guys, some guys are constructing a a big stone building, and they're going to pretend that it's ancient. Why would people care? No one's going to say anything. And then within a generation or two, everybody will just believe whatever they've been told. 
That's correct. That's all it takes to brainwash people. That's all it takes is a generation or two and you can completely change history. Yeah, I totally agree that within a couple of generations you can completely uh, change history. But um, with with the Parthenon, for example, all the pyramids, um, your um, hypothesis of, um, of this being built just 200 years ago, it's too soon, I think. Mm, that's fair enough. I'm not trying to change your mind. And also, maybe it has been there the whole time. Maybe. Like, I'm, I'm open-minded. I don't know. Yeah. So, um, do you have children, uh, John? No, no, no children. No, no. Do you? I do, yeah, yeah. I have a boy, seven years old. Um, oh. So for me and for other people who we do have children and um, they have to go to school, unfortunately, um, how do we tackle this issue with history? How do you think we should um, approach our children? It's funny you ask because I was talking about this. I recorded another video for my website uh, just a few days ago discussing this very question of do people... Is it a good idea to have children? And if you do have children, how do you raise them in a world where you know that what the school is teaching and what the history books teach is nonsense? And I don't have any good answers for this because if you were to raise your children to understand that they've been lied to about history or about dinosaurs or about heliocentrism or evolution, all of these lies, if you raise your child to understand that, he or she is going to be very different to all the other children. They'll never fit in properly. They won't have a normal childhood. You'll be taking that from them. But on the other hand, if you let them believe all of the stories that they're told, then you will never really have a close... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're raising a non-player character and you'll never have a very close bond with them because they'll believe a whole bunch of stories that you know are not true. So what is the correct thing to do? I don't know. I, I sympathize with the parents who raise their children to be normies, normal people. I sympathize with the parents who raise their children and teach them the truth. I think there's valid reasons to do either of those things. Both come with pros and cons. Both come with benefits and and uh, downsides. But yeah, I don't have any um, wisdom. I've got no wisdom to share on this. I don't know what I would do if I was a parent. And this is one of the reasons I don't plan to be a parent. I can avoid this trouble just by not having children. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Can we also talk about um, uh, heliocentrism and NASA? Because um, you have something unique. You don't believe uh, that um, the Earth is flat, but you also understand that heliocentrism and NASA are pff, complete. So. Can you can you explain, please, what's your um, thesis on that? What's your understanding? Yes. Yeah, so up until 2015, I believed that I lived on a giant ball that was spinning on its axis, that was also spinning around the sun, and that uh, the 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 system that we live in, the solar system, was part of this giant galaxy called the Milky Way 
hurtling through the infinite vastness. I believed all of that. I believed all of that. And then in 2015, this flat earth thing got very popular on the internet. So I looked into it and I realized I didn't have any evidence that I lived on a giant spinning ball going around the sun. I realized that. But I also realized that these people promoting flat earth, a lot of the stuff they were saying was complete nonsense. For one example, I interviewed this flat earther and live on the air, he was trying to say that, oh, there are no flights in the Southern Hemisphere. You can't fly from South America to Africa or from Africa to Australia, whatever, right? Because in his world, on his flat earth map, those flights would be impossible because the Southern Hemisphere is on the outer edge of the of his um, disc. But the problem for him is, and the problem for all of these flat earth promoters is, I have flown from Africa to Australia. Back in 2010, I flew from Johannesburg to Perth. So I said this to him live on the air. And you know what he said to me? He said, oh, well, you must be mistaken. And I'm like, nope, I don't think that's the kind of thing that I would misremember. I don't think I would misremember going to Africa when I was a university student, when I went on exchange. I don't think I would, I don't think I'm making this memory up. And so that's just one example. And I found a lot of examples of this where the flat earth promoters were using spurious, they were using foolish, silly arguments to promote their belief system. And I realized it was all a lot of nonsense. And the flat earth thing just doesn't work. There is no working flat earth model. The reality is that the sun follows a pattern. Okay. Even if the earth does not move, because I don't think the earth moves, the sky does. And the sun and the stars follow patterns. And those patterns make sense if you imagine the world to be similar to a ball, a ball model. Now, that doesn't mean that you live on a ball. So, for example, suppose I come to Athens to visit Athens and to see all of these ancient ruins. And suppose I don't have a phone. I have to use a map. Or even if I do use my phone, I'll use a map phone. Either way, the map will tell me, oh, if I leave my hotel and I walk down this street and then I walk right and then I walk left, I will get to this particular place, right? So the map is accurate because I can use it and it works and it will consistently work, but it doesn't mean that I live on a map. So it is with the world that we live in. The best model to explain the sun and the moon and the stars is a ball model, but it doesn't mean we live on a ball. And this is something that the vast majority of people cannot understand because their brains are a little bit too simple. So when I say that the best model is a ball model, I'm not saying we live on a ball. Just as if you came to visit Plovdiv, you might ask me, where's the nearest bakery? I can say, actually, there's a good bakery just down. I could draw a map for you. The map would work, but it doesn't mean that you live on a map. So it is with the model. So I don't believe in any flat earth model or belief. There's no way to make a flat earth work with the stars and the moon and the, and the sun. Or with flights. You can fly from Africa to Australia in like, I think it was about eight or 10 hours. Doesn't work on any flat earth map or model. Doesn't work. But it does work on a ball earth model. You see? So the fact that we can fly in the southern uh, so-called hemisphere and the fact that the sun and the moon follow certain patterns makes sense on a ball model. Doesn't mean we live on a ball, but it makes sense on a ball model. Makes no sense on any flat earth map model, anything like that. So, I But if something that that makes sense on a ball, then it wouldn't be a ball. It, no, what, what I, do I don't you believe mean? the earth has a shape. 
I don't believe the Earth has a shape. So people argue about, oh, the Earth is a ball or it's flat or it's concave. People all want to believe that the Earth has a shape. I don't believe the Earth has a shape. The Earth is just the Earth. I don't think it has a shape. Now, the, the, the easy way to for me to disprove this would be to go high up enough in the sky to see it, to observe it. And if I could observe that the Earth was a ball or flat or whatever, I would then say, well, the Earth is a ball or flat, but we can't do that. So we have to arrive at inferences, that is, take the information we do have and arrive at the best inference. And so from the evidence that we have, I infer that the best model is a ball. But it's not spinning, and it's definitely not going around the sun, hurtling through space. But the best model, I believe, is a ball. You haven't seen uh, these uh, videos um, from uh, people who have been up on uh, uh, balloons or, uh, you know, um, and they, they, they're taking videos of the horizon and they show a flat horizon. Okay, I grant you it's not the end of the horizon. It doesn't encompass the whole Earth. But as far as, you know, up as uh, we can go, we are allowed to go, they do see a flat horizon. We don't know what's what would going you on expect? beyond that. Even if you uh-huh. lived on a ball, what would you expect, though? Like if you go high up on a, 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 a balloon horizon. or a plane? A, a slightly curved horizon, I would expect, if it was a ball. Why? Why would you expect that? Because that's how physics work on, uh, on a ball. I mean, if you if you have a ball and you go up there, you you will see the the curvature of the ball. You have you have to. Would you see some curvature? I'm not so sure about that because suppose you go up really high in some special balloon or some special um, device. Even if you were on a ball, the so-called horizon. If you do a 360, if you turn your head and look, you look to the left and you keep looking left and then you come all the way back around. How could that possibly be curved the whole way? doesn't make sense. It'll be consistently at the same level. It would have to be, even if you were on a ball. That doesn't make sense to me, what you're saying now. Okay, so suppose you lived on a, on a giant ball. For if, you, if you live on a ball, at some point when you go very, very high, you will start seeing the ball. Sometimes you will detach yourself from the ball, and at some point you will be able to see the ball. Yes, I agree with you about that. So at some but point, why, the horizon on, on the way up, why would you see a curve though? On the way up, why would you see a curvature in the horizon? I, I, I'm not sure how high you need to go according to the globe model. How high you need to go to start seeing the curvature? But whatever that height is, at some point you will have to see the curvature, and then if you continue going up, this curvature will get bigger, 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 and then at some point you will see the whole ball. It can't stay flat forever. You understand? At some point, you will have to curve as you're going further up and further up and further up. Mm, yeah, I, I don't think anyone has anyone can get high enough to see the the shape like this. And in terms of the horizon, I don't know the maths of how high you would have to go to start to see. What you're describing as uh, I I don't know that curve. number either. I don't remember it. Um, yeah, I'm sure there is a mathematical formula that they say that the, at this height you'll start seeing the curvature, but I don't remember that uh, that number. And I I don't remember if anyone, an independent uh, guy, I mean not a not a governmental agency, if a, any any 
simple human being has ever gone that far, uh, that high up. I mean, I, I, mm, I don't think I'm we can. Sure. So, are you? Do you subscribe to the flat Earth belief? Are you a flat Earth person? I don't know the shape of uh, the Earth either because no one uh, has actually seen the complete uh, shape of it. But I do not think that it's a bone. Um, the, the the research I have done has convinced me that um, physical laws and you know stuff that uh, <laughs> need to happen on a ball they 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 don't happen. Uh, uh, if it is a ball, John, it must be a very 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 large ball. At least it's not um, the the size of the ball that they, that they tell us uh, it is. So, yeah, I don't think we live on a ball either. Like I said, the best model to explain what we see would be a ball, but I don't think we actually live on a ball. And I, know, I do know that's a very hard thing for people to uh, to understand. But for me, it's like, what if you had a whole bunch of humans who all knew that the way to get from my apartment to the best restaurant in Plovdiv was to take these directions, and people sat around to arguing about, oh, well, I think we live on this map and we live on that map. And I'm saying, guys, we don't live on a map. We live in Plovdiv, but what's the best map to explain how to get there? And in the case of the sun, the moon, the stars, and the flights, what's the best explanation? It's a ball model. But I'm not saying we live on a ball. I do know that's a very hard thing for people to to wrap their heads around. I don't think the Earth has a shape. Like, I don't you think th the people in Australia, I don't think people in Australia are upside down relative to me. Okay. They're not. They're not in my reality. In my so, physical reality, I know they exist, but I don't think they're standing upside down, like in okay. in the physical world. Okay. Uh, so, um, do you tend to subscribe to the notion that this is a simulation? Well, I don't like the word simulation because it means different things to different people. But in terms of the way this place works, I think we could be in a so-called um, simulation, like a, a constructed reality, and it would function just as, as it functions today. Like what I witness and what I experience would make sense if we were in some kind of constructed reality that someone had designed. Now, whether that someone is a god or a video game designer or whatever the case is, whatever has created all of this, it does seem to me like we're living in a, um, in a giant mass multiplayer online role-playing game. That's what it seems like to me. Yep. But in saying that, I don't think there's some other place. that Because some people, when they talk about simulation, they make it sound like, oh, there's some other reality. Um, that Like we're in a simulation, but there's some other reality that we can go to. Or it's like the Matrix. Like we'll come matrix, out of the simulation yes. and we'll be humans somewhere else. I don't believe that. I believe this reality that we're in, that you and I and the listeners are in right now, this is our reality. This is real. This is as real as it gets for us. But it seems to function like it is being constructed artificially. And at some point, again, it could be one generation ago, it could be five, it could be ten generations, I'm not sure. At some point, this iteration, this version started. And it started with a bunch of humans all over the world and maybe even some buildings as well and languages started with these things and then from that point everything else has followed that's how it seems to me 
Okay, I under, I understand. Many people share your um, uh, disbelief. I've heard. Well, that. one of the problems is this guy Elon Musk. He was on Joe Rogan a few years ago, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how, you know, if if we can keep advancing with our technology, eventually we'll be able to create uh, simulated worlds, and there'll yeah. be you know artificial intelligence within those worlds that won't know that they're in a simulation. And once we get to that level, then the humans in those simulations, they'll get smart enough to create their own simulations. And at that point, there'll be more simulated realities. There'll only be one real reality, and there'll just be infinite or near-infinite simulated realities. And if that happens, then how would any any reality is statistically or mathematically likely to be one of the simulations? Because if you've got near-infinite realities and only one of them was the originator, then the rest are all the, the, the constructed ones. And that would mean that we're probably in one of the constructed ones, something like this. And a lot of people don't like Elon Musk or if somebody popular like him puts an idea out there, they instantly reject it, even if it's logical. To me, what Elon said on that day, and he's not the only person who's made this argument. He's not the only person who's put this idea out there, but he's seen as like one of the most popular ones who said this. My logic is, even if somebody who I don't like has said something, I don't just reject it because somebody I don't like said it. If it's logical, it's logical. To me, that's logical. If technology keeps advancing the way that it is, why won't there come a time where there will be a simulated reality with AI that doesn't even know that it's in a simulated reality? Why not? And I think, I mean, 2020, the TV and the government's told us that there was this scary invisible energy that wanted to possess our bodies so we had to stay home and close businesses right now they call it a virus i don't believe in viruses but that's what they said and people believed it and people supported shutting down businesses shutting down schools in australia they shut down the beach you weren't allowed to go to the beach they banned you from going to the beach because there was this deadly thing on the loose right people supported it and they thought this was sensible why Maybe because these people are not thinking creatures like I am and like I hope that you are and the listeners as well. We think for ourselves. What if most of the people around us cannot think for themselves ever? They seem like they can. And when you talk to them, they can give you uh, sentences and they can tell you stories and they can remember things. Well, AI can already do all of that. AI can already do all of those things. So what are the humans around us doing that tells us that there's somebody inside of that thing. I'll tell you what they're not doing is thinking because any thinking person shouldn't have taken them very long to realize that this pandemic was a hoax and that all of these policies had nothing to do with improving health. You know what they did in Australia? They left open the fast food and they closed the gyms, supposedly for people's health. Yeah? Everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So it should have taken a thinking person not very long to realize that this was a complete scam, right? But most of them didn't work it out. Why? Maybe because these people around us, they are already the AI because we're living in what you might call a simulation. So these people around us, no different from bots in a video game. The lights are on, but nobody's home. And that is why they fell for the scam scamdemic. And it's also why if the government says, guys, there's aliens and they're coming to get us, So we have to do what they say, right? And they put 
videos on TV showing an alien spaceship above the White House. I won't believe it. Hopefully you won't believe it and your viewers and listeners won't believe it. But the masses will believe it. They'll believe anything. They will believe anything because they're not thinking for themselves and they never will. Now, why is this the case? Maybe because these people are the AI in this simulation. They're the and, AI. The, and the rest of the thinking uh, people, what are they in this simulation? I don't know. All I know is that in my case, I consider myself to be a thinking person. And whether you want to call it a spirit or a soul, I consider myself to be a certain way. Now, how many people like me are there in this world that we live in? I want to believe that there's at least a few hundred of us. I want to believe that. And maybe there's millions of us because there's, there's entire countries I've never been to with languages that I can't speak. Maybe those places are full of thinking people. I like to imagine that that's the case. But it's also possible I have to accept that ultimately I might be the only one of me here and every other person is part of the, uh, the construct. I have to accept that that is a possibility. And I don't know. I've been very fortunate. I've got to meet a lot of people doing what I do. I've traveled to meet some people like, so I do my podcast, people contact me, we get to talking. Next thing you know, some of them, I've got to meet them in real life. They've come to visit me. I've had some people I've met, they've come to stay with me here in Plovdiv for weeks at a time. I talk with these people and I feel like I'm talking to a kindred spirit. I'm talking to a person who's thinking for themselves. That's how it feels. So I like to think that these people are on the same level as me. And there could be millions of us out there. Or maybe the people I've spoken to are just very advanced AI and, and I'm the only one here as well. You see, I'm open to all of these possibilities. I don't know for sure uh, what the case is. I don't know. Are you also open to the possibility that um, uh, humanity and civilization sort of evolved? I'm not talking about evolution here, okay? Uh, evolved. And, uh, and we just don't know when it evolved and uh, in what ma manner exactly it evolved. Are you also open to that uh, possibility? Mm, I don't really understand what you mean. Evolved from what? I mean um, that we do have a history. It's just that we don't know how far when it started. We don't know how far it, uh, you know, it goes, and we we're not a hundred percent certain what that history is. If, um, as we discussed, uh, at, you know, in the beginning, that uh, what they teach us as history, historical facts, and uh, you know, events. Maybe it's not what happened. Maybe something different completely different happened on some or something slightly different has actually happened well i'm i'm open to anything so if somebody says to me hey i've got evidence that humans evolved or that civilization evolved or that society has evolved or what have you i'm like cool what's the evidence i'm happy to inspect the evidence okay but i haven't right. seen any evidence that humans have been here for more than a couple hundred years or that they evolved from some other thing i haven't seen any none but I'm open to it. So if you know where to find some, I'll go and take a look. But no, I don't think so. <laughs> no. You know, I used to believe in evolution. When I was a student, when I was a kid at school, I believed all the stories that we're told. I believed in dinosaurs. I believed in evolution, heliocentrism, 
history. I believed the whole lot. And I did fairly well at school. I was the ducks of my school. I got a scholarship to university. And I believed all of this crap. I read a book by Richard Dawkins called The God Delusion. I thought that was very clever. I was um, basically an atheist, shall we say. So I believed all of this stuff up until I started questioning. And I didn't start truly questioning until I realized that these uh, events, certain events in America, were fake. And those are the baby hoaxes that we spoke about earlier on the hoax hierarchy. That's why I put them at the bottom of the hoax hierarchy, because for me, they were the entry point. Now, had I known then, when I first realized that a certain school shooting never happened, if I knew then that if I continued down this path of questioning what I thought I knew, that I would wind up one day, 35 years old, living in Plovdiv, Bulgaria, talking to some lovely lady from Greece about how there is no history, there is no dinosaurs, there is no evolution. Had I known then that this is the path it would take me on, maybe I would have just closed my laptop and left my house and gone for a walk and <laughs> never looked back at this stuff. This was not the intention. I had, I had no way of knowing this is where it would lead. So I've gone from pretty much a complete normie, pretty much a complete normie, normal person, to possibly the craziest person in the English-speaking world today. Possibly. Certainly one of the uh, more one of the more outrageous and absurd theorists of our time. And, and also, this for me is not just some live-action role play. A lot of people get involved in this conspiracy stuff. It's just a way to pass the time. It's a way to uh, be entertained, to, uh, you know, speculate on things and enjoy different ideas, but then they go back to a normal life and they go back to work and they go back to their family and they go back to being normal. This is just a a short-term thing for them. For me, this is no short-term thing. I literally live in Plovdiv, Bulgaria, and I spend my spare time talking about this stuff and making content for a very small audience. This is my reality now. And I, I didn't set out for this to be my reality. One day I was just minding my own business and I saw, I saw this video of this, um, this guy who's meant to be the father of one of the, the dead children from one of these events and he yeah. was laughing. And I'm like, I've seen know, why is this guy yet. laughing? Why is he laughing for? And then I, found these, um, <laughs> then I found these videos of people from uh, Boston bombings. And if, you, uh, if you're in a bombing, if, if a bomb goes off and injures you, then your pants, your trousers – they should be ripped, right? They shouldn't look like they've been cut with scissors. There's a, you can tell the difference between fabric which has been ripped and which has been cut with scissors. And it's very easy to tell the difference. So I'm looking at these videos and these photos of people from, the, from this bombing and their trousers appear to have been cut with scissors. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And then I decided to look further into it. And here we are, eight or nine years later, and, yeah, it turns out that those baby hoaxes, interesting as they may be, they're nothing compared to some of these other deceptions. They've really got people believing, Maria, they've really got people believing that they are just the product of evolution, they're a speck of dust in the universe, they just came here by chance, and they live on this world where they're 70 million years ago, there were these giant lizard birds walking around. Those things got wiped out by a meteorite. We could get wiped out by a meteorite. There's intelligent life on other planets 
out there in this infinite fastness, they've really got people believing all of that stuff. And I used to believe all of it. And now to me, that's all just um, – it's worse than children believing in Santa Claus. It's worse than that. And, of course, the last three years, they've had people believing that there's these invisible little things. And if I get some of, some of them in my body and then I go and have lunch with somebody, they'll, they'll leave my body and get into that person's body and maybe they're going to kill grandma, right? People really believe this, these invisible creatures. So they all of this do. absurd stuff – that people believe that I used to believe when I mock people now for this, for their beliefs. And I talk about them as being very simple creatures. But you've got to remember, I used to be like that, but I was willing to, to accept that I was wrong and to reevaluate and to look at the evidence and to start again. And that's what I did. I had to start again with all of these topics started again, like evolution, for instance, I used to believe in evolution, but then when I started questioning things, I was like, okay, What's the evidence for evolution? So I looked at this story. They tell us that we all come from Africa. It's called the out of Africa theory, which I used to fully believe. And when I went to Africa, when I was in my early 20s, I thought that I was going to the, the cradle of civilization. That's what they call it, the cradle of civilization. So you and me and all the people, we all effectively descend from these uh, people in Africa is a story. And I was like, okay, cool. What's the evidence? So I looked up. How did they, who came up with this theory? What was the evidence? And I found this scientific paper from like maybe 1987, something like this, where they first proposed this out of Africa theory using what they call mitochondrial DNA, yeah. Yeah. mitochondrial DNA. So I was like, okay, great. I'm going to download that paper. I'm going to read it for myself. Now, how many people do you think in the entire English speaking world or the entire Western world? have ever sat down and read the paper from where this theory came from, actually sat down and read the scientific paper for themselves. How many people do you think? It could be just in the hundreds. It could even be less. It could be dozens. You know what? It could even just be me. If you don't include the academics in the field, in terms of regular people who are like, you know what? Here's a story. I'm going to go and look into it. As far as I know, I could be the only person who's ever done that. Said, all right, I'm going to download a copy of this paper and read it for myself. I could be the only one. I've never heard other people talking about it. Never. I've never heard in my entire life, all the people I've spoken to, a single person tell me, oh, yeah, well, I wanted to know where this theory came from, so I found the scientific paper, downloaded it, and read it for myself. Not a single one. Not one. That's not what people do. So people are walking around with all these beliefs about evolution and dinosaurs and heliocentrism, whatever. People, people are not going back to the start and saying, right, what's the evidence? People don't do that. It's a very strange thing to do. I'm a very strange person, Maria. I'm a very strange person because I do this kind of thing. And that is why I have ended up where I am. Now, if instead of doing that, I just went with people's stories, then maybe I would still believe the official story. Or maybe I would believe some YouTuber's story. Or maybe I would whatever, you see. But I just wanted to find out what is the official story and what's their evidence. And it was when I started doing that that I realized that almost everything that I had believed up until that point in time was nonsense, complete nonsense. And that DNA study that I told you about, the, they had, you know what their sample size was? So what they did was they took mitochondrial DNA from a bunch of mothers and they, uh, they used that, they put it into a special machine that looked at how similar this so-called DNA was 
and from that they basically just drew like a chart and they said right well we think it all goes back to this one we, like, just even just the method is ridiculous once you know what the method is but put that aside what was their sample size it was like 140 pieces of mitochondrial dna so even if you believe that from taking these dna samples you can somehow determine where humans came from even if you believe that which is absurd to me but even if you believe that 140 people can tell you where all humans came 140 people today can tell you where all humans came from this is like this is you know when we're children we're taught how stupid religions are like oh these crazy christians they believe that um some guy called noah put all these animals on a boat isn't that so stupid yeah to me that's stupid you know what's even stupider believing that you can determine that all humans came from africa by taking 140 pieces of dna putting it in some machine and then saying right well because of the similarities of these different DNA samples, we believe all humans came from Africa. That's just as stupid to me, if not stupider. And I'll give you another example. So they, if you go to Wikipedia right now and look up Saturn or Jupiter or Earth on Wikipedia, it'll tell you how heavy Jupiter or Mars or Earth is. It'll tell you its mass. The mass is 3 point blah, blah, blah times 10 to the 20 blah, blah, blah grams, right? They've got a mass for Earth. Do you know how they determined the mass for Earth? How? It's called the Cavendish experiment. Oh, yes. There was this guy a couple yeah. hundred years ago, and what he did was, so this is, he had no electricity. He had no modern technology. What he did was he had this big shed, like a shed, like a, a warehouse kind of thing, and he weighed these two heavy balls. He, he created this um, contraption. This contraption hung from the roof effectively. It had two heavy balls and then two smaller balls. And then what he did was he walked maybe 50 or 100 meters away from it, maybe even further, and used a telescope to zoom in on these heavy balls because he wanted to measure how much they attract one another. So in other words, the two heavy balls will attract the two smaller balls on this thing that he called a torsion balance. And so he used his telescope to zoom, this is, by the way, this is the official story. This is not my story. This yeah, is the yeah, official story. So, yeah. so he used his telescope to zoom in on these heavy balls and to measure how much they attracted each other. And then by using that value, he was able to determine what he called big G or what we call big G, the gravitational constant. And then by using that figure and the estimate for the Earth's size, he was able to determine effectively the mass of the Earth. Now, and then from once you have the mass of the Earth, you can use the uh, patterns of, of Mars and Venus and what have you. You can use uh, those values to determine their mass as well, right? Now, that might sound crazy. It might sound like I'm misrepresenting their story. No, that's their story. Now, how come we're never told that in school? Let me put to you a theory. Because if we were taught that in school, some of us, not all of us, but some of us would be like, uh, "Miss, that doesn't sound <laughs> that doesn't sound real. That sounds ridiculous to me." Yeah, yeah. I, and that's the story. I, I did not the remember Cavendish experiment. That. Yeah, I, I did not remember that um, the Cavendish experiment was used to determine uh, the Earth mass. But I do remember that um, the um, the size of Venus is a complete hypothesis. I remember that they say they said, 
Okay, we believe that Venus is uh, approximately as big as the Earth. We'll take that as, you know, in at face value, that it that's correct, that hypothesis is correct. And then the rest of our measurements will be based on that hypothesis, which is now being taught as a fact. I know that. That's very interesting. I didn't know that. I'm just Googling yes. right now. How big is Venus? Yeah. Uh, how, I might Google how... How is Venus size determined? I didn't even know what you're saying. It doesn't surprise me though. How is Venus size determined? What does Google say? What does Google One say? way to measure the size of Venus is to consider its mass. It has a mass of 4.86 times 10 to the 24 kilograms, just over 81% of Earth's. So that's, you see- That's a, that's a the, circular uh, thinking though, because you need to know the size to determine the mass. So That's it right. Doesn't, yeah, it doesn't exactly. tell you how they decided uh, about the size. Yep, I, I totally agree with you. And that comes to to us from Universe Today. So that's the top link on Google. And for most people, that's all they need is just whatever Google says. It comes from NASA or from this Universe Today, whatever. That's good enough for them. Whereas you yeah. and me, we're sitting here saying, well, hold on. If you're telling me one way to measure the size of Venus is to consider its mass, where'd they get the mass from? They got yeah. the mass from using the mass of Earth. So you see, we've got the same problem here again, don't we? Yeah, 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 yeah. we do, we do, we do. And uh, before I forget, because I wanted to mention it when you were talking about the, um, the out-of-Africa theory and the mitochondrial DNA study that they did, it's also that the DNA is a theoretical construct. They have never observed it. Not then, not now. It's still a, th um, a theoretical construct, DNA. And um, also... The way to determine your DNA, uh, like they do now in certain uh, companies, uh, give us a little bit of your DNA and we will tell you your um, origin and, you know, whatever. They're using, um, the method that they're using is completely bogus. Uh, they're using the PCR. And uh, I don't know whether you have researched how PCR works, but basically it doesn't work. It constructs. Um, the pieces of it, it it takes one one very very small molecule and then it starts copying it copying it copying it copying it so it's even the, the the methodology is also not not just the sample even the methodology is completely wrong it doesn't say anything plus dna doesn't it, it doesn't exist as they think it exists i don't I know whether you, you have done do you, any do you believe um do you believe that things like chromosomes exist um, chromosomes, I believe they exist. It's the um, it's the chain, uh, the, the the double helix that they have never observed. Yeah. That's that's the theoretical construct. I agree with they, you. I they agree. have they have observed the nucleus, and inside the nucleus, they have observed the coils because that's how it is in in our you know in our cells. If uh, we have cells, are they? as they tell us that um, they are. Anyway, that's a different discussion. So uh, I believe uh, what they say DNA is, it's, it's like um, coils, it's like, a, it's like, a, like cords. And, and that's how they are. They have never seen it uh, forming a double helix and then a part of the double helix opens and then, uh, you know, uh, theamine and, you know, the rest of the bases come and replicate and go outside and... This is uh, this is a science fiction movie. 
they have never seen it. Never. I agree with you. Yeah. Because I do believe like in this idea of genetics, this idea that one person's physical characteristics are passed on to their children and so on and so forth. And, and that's so observable. Like, um, that's observable. Yeah, it's observable. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So so genetics as a as a broad idea, I think, is is um, reasonable. And they have developed techniques for determining similarity from blood samples or what have you to determine this person is so similar to this other person that they're related or what have you. That basic idea I'm on board with. But yeah, the, the double helix, yeah, I think that is just a like a fictional representation of a, of a story that they're trying to tell. I don't yeah. think you can see that. And even things like electron microscopes, I don't believe these um, electron microscopes, I don't believe in them at all. Like people, there might be places that have, oh, we've got an electron microscope. Okay, great. But I don't believe they're using electrons to observe things. That idea is just absurd to me uh, fundamentally. They're not shooting electrons and then receiving electrons and then coming up with some kind of uh, accurate picture of things at that level. I don't think that technology is real. No, and I'll never get can't. to use one. I'll they can't have a nicer. What? Say that yeah. again. Sorry. I'll never get to use. They'll never let me use an electron microscope or you or any of us. Now, I've had people on the internet, anonymous people, leave comments like, oh, I, I use an electron microscope at my university. As soon as I ask these people follow up questions, they can't explain themselves. They're just making it up. So in real life, I've never met someone who's actually used one of these electron microscopes. I've read comments from people on the internet pretending that they have. But in terms of real life people, I've never met one. Oh, you now, don't if have I got to an pretend. Email, you don't have to if pretend. I got an email from a, if I got an email from a professor at university who was like, uh, hello, Mr. Lebon, I heard you say that these devices are fake. I'd like to invite you to come and use our electron microscope at the university of whatever. I would happily do that. And if I was to use one of these devices and I was convinced that they're not just uh, making stuff up, I would happily change my mind. But I don't think that's going to happen. So as far as I'm concerned, electron microscopes, it's similar to carbon dating. It's a story that we've been given and everyone just believes, but I've seen no evidence that it actually works. They can, they can tell us anything, and we, most people just believe it. Who's going to challenge them? And another thing, too, if, if someone is studying a degree, like a three-year bachelor's degree of science or whatever, why are they going to challenge anything? Like, they believe in this, and it's going to be their profession, they hope. So there's no incentive for them to no. truly challenge this stuff. No, no. And then once they've spent three years, maybe they'll do their master's. There's another couple of years. So they've been in the education system for 12 or 13 years just to get to university. And then another three, five, maybe seven years of further indoctrination. Of course they believe all of this stuff. That's another thing too. People said to me, oh, so you think the scientists are all in on us? No, it's worse than that. They actually believe it. Why, why wouldn't they? They have to. And then I have people tell me, oh, but in science, the way to make a name for yourself is to, is to disprove one of the theories. To, I'm like, okay, give me... That's what people tell me. They're like, no. oh, no, science. And I'm like, okay, give me some examples. Give me some names of people who've made a name for themselves by challenging the official story. They can't. They can't. So they have this idea in their heads of, oh, no, science is peer-reviewed and there's so many scientists who are working towards the truth. No, that's not how – That's not. science is a business. Science is a business. It's their people's jobs. Yes. So people have this idea of, oh, no, the scientists are like these holy people – 
whose primary mission in life is to discover the truth and share it with us. No, their job is to put food on the table. And they don't put food on the table by discussing the kind of things that you and I are discussing right now. That's a way to, to lose their job, to ruin their career, and to flush years of their life down the toilet. So that's why this is not going to happen among the, the academics or the experts. It's in their financial interests and in their social interests yeah. to believe, and I think they do believe. I don't think they're lies. I think they, they believe the stuff they're saying. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you, yes. They believe. They're indoctrinated and they are keen on uh, perpetuating the indoctrination. I believe that. It's yes, also psychological, a huge psychological blow to, to, you know, at some point in your life admit that, you know, your whole belief system and your whole life was, you know, based on nothing. On yeah, and I don't think most humans are, are really capable of doing that. We have this idea that, oh, Humans are logical creatures who base their opinions on evidence. That's what everyone believes. Like humans are so intelligent. I don't think that I don't think humans are. I don't think humans are that intelligent. To me, for the most part, they're just more advanced monkeys. Like you, you put some clothes on a monkey, give him a suitcase, and send him off to work. That's how most humans are, as far as I'm concerned. And so, once they've been raised to believe a certain belief system, in the vast majority of cases, that's going to be how they stay. That's, and, you know, another thing, that's probably for the best. I think it's most people, most of the normal people, they're quite happy just believing whatever nonsense they're told. They're quite happy just going to work, coming home, drinking beer, smoking weed, watching TV, maybe uh, picking their children up from a violin recital or whatever. Maybe they chat with their wife or their partner. How was your day today, honey? Blah, blah, blah. That's it. And they're happy. They're, humans are quite content believing all kinds of nonsense and leading effectively pretty purposeless lives. They're happy enough. So I don't even try. The stuff we're talking about, like you contact me when I have an interview, I'm happy to chat with you about it. And then the members of my website, they've joined my site, they hear what I'm talking about. Or people subscribe to my YouTube channel. Most of them know what they're in for. But in terms of trying to wake people up, I don't. Why would I want to wake somebody up? Especially if they're happy. Most people... Uh, just as happy as me, if not happier. So I say, leave them be. Let them believe whatever nonsense they want. I'm not trying to change their minds. I'm not trying to wake them up. I'm not trying to convert them. Let them believe they live on a giant spinning ball. They evolved from some kind of monkey-like creature. The Earth used to have dinosaurs ro uh, roaming around. These giant lizard birds. They got wiped out by a meteorite. There's, in there's intelligent life on other planets. There's this invisible virus that's out to kill us. Let them believe all of it. Because they're happy. So I say, let them be. Yeah. Plus, you cannot wake up someone who doesn't want to wake up, even if you wanted to. So it's a no, purpose, and I don't think you can so. wake people up, even if they do want to wake up. The number of intelligent people who I've met, and I say intelligent is in relatively through doing what I do the last eight, nine years, and they'll, they'll understand something like the, the, the fake bombings or the fake shootings. They'll understand that. And they'll understand that NASA is... The, the footage they're giving us is just, uh, it's a joke. They'll understand that. But then we'll get to something like, say, um, ultrasounds. You know, when, when a woman is pregnant these days, she'll go to some place and they'll put this transducer on her belly to look at the baby, right? To me, it's quite obvious that that is radiation that is bad for the baby. 
And people say, how come there's all these rates of autism? And how come all the kids are so retarded these days? Maybe because they're being radiated in the womb. How's that for an idea? Nope. Yeah. A lot of people, even, even the relatively intelligent people, can't handle it, right? So even the people who say they want to wake up, do they really? It might be hey, too up painful. Up to a point, you know, as, as they can go as far as they can, uh, you know, handle it. They can go beyond. Yeah, and some of this, some of this stuff is, uh, it's dark. You know, if, if these so-called ultrasounds are in fact radiation, they are. imagine, well, of course they are. Imagine being someone who has had multiple children and each one had multiple ultrasounds. Imagine this idea that every time you went to get the ultrasound or every time your wife went to get the ultrasound, you were actually cooking your own baby in the womb. Like, that would be, for a lot of people, probably the, the darkest idea they could possibly imagine. So, of course, they're going to want to, uh, to ignore that. I don't blame them. I don't blame them. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense to me, too. Yeah. Um, John, I'm going to have to let you go because my son just returned from the playground, <laughs> which was <laughs> to give me some uh, um, quiet time here. But um, he has returned now. Um, is there anything else that it's um, important and you would like to mention be- before we, you know, we close this um, conversation down? Mm, well, if people are interested in what's what your, I've had to what's say, your, what's your last? Uh, what's your last? Be- before you tell us where we can find you, uh, what's your last important message that you want to leave us with, if there is one? Mm, that's an excellent question. I don't really have a. A final message. You see, what people are supposed to do in these kinds of interviews, at the end, they're meant to give a message of hope and energy, right? So they can spend yeah. an hour or two hours talking about this stuff. And then at the end, they're like, you know what? Everything's going to be okay. People are going to wake up. You're in charge of I your own life. Everything's... I don't believe that. That's what people do. <laughs> that's that's how this... I don't know if you've noticed, but the whole... The whole and, and I think you're doing these um, interviews for your own interest and as, yeah. as a hobby, which is really cool. But you know, the conspiracy scene is its own little industry. And if you listen to these podcasts, the, the people who do this for a job, yeah, they'll spend an hour or two hours with a guest. They'll talk about all these things. But then at the end, what they'll almost always do is, let's finish on a positive. It's like the news when you watch the news, right? It'll be 20 minutes of this This car had a car crash. This person Death died. And gloom and doom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then they'll finish with a happy story about the gorilla at the zoo just had a baby, right? The, the, the conspiracy scene does the same thing. At the end... They finish with this message of hope and positivity and what have you, right? Let Leave people feeling good at the end. Well, I wish I could do that for you, Maria, but the truth is... I don't want that. <laughs> the, yeah, the truth is I don't um, have a positive message. You see, I've been living in the Balkans for over two years, and I've become like them. I've become dour and cynical and a little bit miserable. So I've got no positive messages to share. Maybe well, this is... Join- Join the the spirit, uh, John. <laughs> we are Balkans, you know, our whole lives, cynical and dark. <laughs> so yeah. I get the sense that Greek people are a little bit more positive than the the Bulgarians. So I mean, have you been to Bulgaria? These people, they, I, no, I, I love them. I they're haven't. great. But they're... I haven't been to Bulgaria, but two of my, um, I have two very close friends that they are uh, Bulgarians. And uh, yeah, maybe because you know our uh, recent history was. Um, Different Greece was never a communist uh, 
state Bulgaria was. And I think that left, you know, a, a mark to Bulgaria that skipped Greece, if you understand what I, I think mean. you are correct. I think you are correct. I think that's a huge part of it. I think another part is you guys have so many beaches and uh, the beach people <laughs> the sunlight. that I met, the beach people I met in Bulgaria, they were uh, they were more friendly. But I can see you've got family to tend to. And yeah. so I, I best let you go. I, I, I'll give you, I'll give you, um, I'll give you, Aww. wait, here, wait. Aww. Say hello to John. You can see him. Say hello. Why You can see him because his camera doesn't work. Hi. I don't know. No. Say hello. Hi. Hello. Can you hear hello. <laughs> yeah, I can yeah. hear myself. <laughs> yes. So has he got has he got blonde hair and blue eyes? He has blonde hair and blue eyes, yes. His father is English. Ah, that makes sense. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, I, I best not keep you any longer, Maria. Thank you so much for the chance to speak with your Thank audience you. today. Thank you. It was, it if was people lovely. want to find more of my work, they can go to johnlebond.com. There's a ton of content there that is available for free. If they like that, they might sign up to the website for the member section, but they really don't need to do that. There is so much free content. It'll keep them busy for weeks, if not months. I've got a YouTube channel as well. I've got a Podbean. Uh, I'm sure you'll put the links to that stuff in the, the show notes. So, Maria, I, I, thank I, you again just, one more time. I'm, I'm just aware of your YouTube channel. Uh, are you also on uh, different platforms apart from YouTube? Um, yeah, I've got a, a YouTube, I've got a Podbean as well, which is where I post all of my public podcasts. I've got a Medium account, believe wanna, it or not, with a couple want, of articles. Do you want to send me the links on my email so I don't miss any and post them all? Uh, yeah, I can send you the links. What I'll do is as soon as we wrap this up, I'll send you the links to the, the important stuff and people can go and check it out. And what we might do, Maria, at some point in the future, if you get time, I might have you as a guest for my Bonversation series, which is my one-on-one -on -one interview podcast series. So... Perhaps at some point in the future, if you'd like to come and be a guest on Conversations, I think well, we could have a lovely chat. Me. Yes, I hope so. Okay. I'm not used to being interviewed. That's why I talk so much today. Normally when I'm the interviewer, I shut up and listen to the other person. So I did talk a lot today, but normally when I'm the host, I shut up and listen to them. And I'd love to get to know more of your story, how you came to be doing what you're doing. Sure. Okay. Let's stay in touch. Let's stay in touch. Well, thank you so much. You have a great day, and I'm sure we'll speak thank again you. soon. You too. Okay, all the best. Bye-bye. Ciao, ciao. Bye-bye, John. Bye-bye.